So welcome back, folks. This is Ballymondo's Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Bell, and I've got two wonderful guests in with us today to talk about a new family support program called Conan. Um, they're going to give their experience of how they got involved in it and they're going to give their experience of how the program runs. Um, it will be really interesting to um, people who are suffering from substance use with a loved one in the family home. Um, as I said, this podcast is always about recovery and everything recovery and the family is now different and the community is now different. They're very important um, parts of the um family dynamic so it's really important that we show support for them and we show love for them and we show methods of how you can support them with programs such as Conan. So I'm going to introduce the guests it's Cathy and Joanne if you just want to say a little bit about yourselves and then a little bit about the program and how you got involved in it and stuff. Sure thanks Jimmy thanks for having us. Um, my name is Cathy and I am a very grateful Conan member. Um, I'm also the wife of an addict um, my husband celebrated five years clean and sober this week. Brilliant. And four years into his recovery, I found myself at a Conan meeting at a CA convention in Portugal, of all places. Um, for the four years while my husband was finding recovery and killing it, um, I was very, very unwell. And I didn't realise how unwell I was until I sat in on my first Conan meeting. Um, so basically what happened was six years ago when he went into treatment, I reached out looking for support and found a meeting in our local area, went down to the meeting, swallowed my pride and there were a couple of people in the room, introduced themselves and one gentleman came over and sat beside me and he asked me who the alcoholic in my family was and I told him my husband was in treatment for a cocaine addiction and I needed help and he put his hand on my lap and he said to me, oh no, this is a support meeting for friends and family members of alcoholics. Okay. And I apologised, took my bag and coat and left the meeting and went down and sat in the car and cried and cried and cried. And I'd never felt so lost and so alone, I guess, and embarrassed. And I just thought to myself, do you know what, you don't need them. You're going to get through this. You and your husband are going to get through this. And that's what I did. He came out of treatment two weeks later and I threw myself into his recovery like his recovery somehow depended on me. Mm. Um, and unfortunately put so much into his recovery that I made myself sick. So over the next four years, while he found recovery and did all the suggested things, you know, he had a sponsor, he was meditating, he was praying. I was monitoring his recovery. You know, he'd get into bed beside me at night and I asked him had he done his inventory I'd get up out of bed in the morning and notice his prayer book wasn't beside his coffee and I'd ring him and work. Did you not say your prayers this morning? Have you spoken to your sponsor? Why did you only speak to your sponsor once? You've spoken to him five times. Why did you speak to him five times? So still fearful, constantly where? Oh, adrenaline was pumping through my veins 24 hours a day. I was literally living in fear, but I didn't realise at the time. Yeah. I was living in fear of a relapse. Yeah. Um, I thought that his recovery was had his new obsession, you know, and it was going to all come crashing down around us. Yeah. Um, I had no faith in him, I suppose, and no faith in the programme. Yeah. But like I said, he embraced his recovery and he went from strength to strength, physically, emotionally, spiritually, became the best that he has ever been. And in the meantime, I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker until I found myself four years into his recovery um, at a Conan meeting in Portugal. And I don't know what happened at the meeting. I don't know what was said. There was no eureka moment. There was no light bulb moment. I just know that I felt good. When I came out of the meeting. Identification possibly, was it? Identifying, absolutely. There were people in the meeting that were able to put into words thoughts and feelings that I'd been having for so long and I didn't couldn't put them into words myself. Yeah. Um, and I just identified, you know, we didn't share the same stories. I just identified and I felt good. 
And the next day I did a second meeting and the third day I did a third meeting. And by the time I did my third meeting, I knew Conan was for me. Um, and I thought to myself, no wonder my husband's doing so well. Five or six hundred meetings under his belt and I feel yeah. this good after three. Yeah, I know what you're saying, yeah. Um, so I left Portugal, came home and logged on to a Zoom meeting because at the time Conan wasn't in Ireland. Yeah. So I logged on to a Zoom every Tuesday night in the UK and that's where I got my support was through Zoom. Very good. And for yourself, Joanne? Joanna? Yeah, thanks for Keep having us. In the yard out, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're grand. You're grand. I'm um, very grateful to be here. Um, and yeah, just like Cathy was sharing there, I was the same. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, would have like saw help in fellowship, you know, going in and you know the way that they do the the steps in the meetings and things like that. I would have latched onto that, even though I knew that. You know, there was still a part of me that didn't. I was like, I, I, there's part of me that needs to be here, but I can't identify with a good bit of what people were talking about. You know, um, but still, stead, and you know, went through the, the suggested things, and when you know, when it goes around the, the room and they were asking people like to say that they were an addict, they'd come to me, and I'd be like, I'd say it just to be part of, you know, yeah. that kind of way. Um, and come here, it did me no wrong because I went through the steps and I ended up having that spiritual awakening as a result of it. What happens? Do you know that kind yeah, of way? Yeah. Um, but I still knew I wasn't home. And like Cathy shared, there was no cone on in Ireland. There was nothing for families yeah. or friends to, for, for us to go to. So I would have stayed in that meeting for a good seven, eight years. You know, and, and was that to try and support the loved one, was it? Yeah, to like to find support for myself. Okay, do you yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. there was none here in Ireland. Yeah. I would have gone to like the likes of Alanon and yeah. stuff like that, but the recovery there was no recovery in the room. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So like that, when Conan came to Ireland, like the very first meeting, I remember I went into a church that morning and I was crying out to God. Um. And I was just saying, help me, you know, like I need, I need, I, I still, I felt a part of, but I still felt so alone, if that makes sense. Mm. And someone in that fellowship reached out to me and told me that there was a meeting on that night. And I jumped on and I was just there and crying. I was like, I'm home. Mm. I'm with me, me, with me own crew. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. I could feel they were, they were talking my language. Commonality. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, where have you been on my life kind of yeah. thing? Do you know that kind of way? So straight away, I just got stuck in, picked up a service position. And I'm just like, people need to know about this here in Ireland. Like, what do we need to do? Yeah. Do you know that kind of way? Because there was nothing. I would have gone to counsellors and psychologists and all that kind of <clears> stuff, <throat> trying to look for, you know, help regards... You know, how do you deal with this stuff? Because, like, when there's an addict or an alcoholic in your family, the whole family gets affected yeah, by the disease. So I do suffer with the disease of alcoholism as a result of living with an alcoholic. Yeah. Do you know, the whole family do. So it's really important for us to recover yeah. from that yeah. as a result, do you know? And that's why I'm super grateful that we're here now and we're actually on the map. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'm a, um, a substance support worker and I work with the individual who has the substance problem, but I also work with the family as well in terms of trying to get them to mind themselves even though I'm not a family support worker but I identify that the family are affected con constantly and continuously and that for the family if the person in recovery is getting better and stuff like that they're still struggling with the relapse as you talked about um, if this is going to happen again and that fear you know is really it's powerful you know and it can really as you said affect your health and your mental health you know um, for yourselves, I mean, for somebody sitting at home who's probably going to listen to this podcast, what happens 
for saying a meeting? How does it how does it operate? Is it quite similar to CA? We had CA on last week and they talked about how a meeting happens. Like somebody comes in, chairs the um chair and then the room is open, or is it slightly different for a family um mm. for family and Conan? Yeah, the format is very much the same. Um, our meetings are on every Sunday from 8 to 9, so it's an hour-long meeting, but we have newcomers every week, so we might have to extend that to an hour and a half. Um, we've had up to 46 people on the Zoom meetings wow. on a Sunday night. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, it's getting bigger and there's newcomers every week. <clears throat> but yeah, the format is the same. So basically, we open up the meeting, um, we just have a moment's silence, and we invite a main chair in to share on their experience, friend and hope, or a topic of their own choosing. Um, the last Sunday of every month we have an open meeting so this Sunday we have a CA share on um, we have somebody read 12 steps in tradition of the month we might have somebody do a reading um, of their own choosing again or we might have a topic to do a reading from and then we open up the room to anyone that wants to share and they normally share for three to four minutes depending on the participation on the night yeah. um, and then we finish off with a, a closing statement serenity prayer and we stay back after the meeting for about a half an hour just for informal chats and for any newcomers that are maybe too shy to um, share during the meeting they can ha- ask questions and all afterwards and you know what was really important listening to both of you is there that the first meeting that you ever went to because for the substance user you know the way that their confidence is so low and they're stripped of everything to make that step into the room for the first time is really difficult mm-hmm. for them but it seems to be for the family that when you stepped into that room for the first time it was like wow somebody understands me yeah. do you know what I mean and it's like this kind of a moment of like, although it might have been difficult for you to do that and to kind of take that risk, but it was like really eye-opening for you both um, as an experience to how you could probably deal with some of the stuff that was happening for you, the trauma, yeah. you know? Um, 100%. And it's like you just feel that um, comfort that you're home, yeah. you know? It's the only way to describe it, that you're home and you're understood for yeah. the first time, yeah. you know? And you, with that, you just get the hope. And if I do what they're doing, I'm going to have what they have kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, basically, then you start asking the questions. You get hungry for it then, don't you? And you're like, what did you do? And, you know. And you learn from each other. Isn't that the yeah. main thing? The main, you know, learn from other people's experience, which is so powerful, because that's similar to how people, you know, um, get growth and recovery. They learn from people who are so many years um, drug and alcohol free. You know, they look at them and they use them as a role model, similar to uh, to use a program. You, you, I was reading the literature. It says it's a 12-step program as well. This is so does... There's, you can go through the steps and stuff like that, can you? And yeah. there's, there's no time frame on that, is there not, Kathy? No, no, absolutely not. Um, so Conan recommends that you attend six meetings before you decide whether Conan is for you or not. And in all honesty, after my first meeting, I knew it was for me, but I yeah. did the recommended six meetings before I reached out to a sponsor. Yeah. Um, and I'm working through the steps now. I'm actually on step 11. Um, my sponsor is in the States, so we, we meet up maybe once a month, a little bit more often, you know, on my caller throughout the month if something's really bothering me and I need to kind of trash it out. Um, so she's there for me 24 hours a day, seven days a week regardless. Um, like I said, I'm on step 11 now. And wow. <clears throat> yeah, it is. It's a 12-step program. It's, it's run exactly the same as the other fellowships. There's no deadlines. There's no pressure. People can reach out whenever they want. We mm-hmm. just suggest they come on to the meetings. 
you know, a lot of people keep their cameras off during the meeting for a number of weeks, even months, yeah, course, without yeah. sharing, you know, anonymity is protected and some people want to protect that, so they'll keep their cameras off or they don't feel confident enough or ready yeah. to share and they just listen and that's great. And then, you know, and after that's a couple of weeks, enough, isn't it? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Just being in the room and identifying is enough. We don't yeah. give advice in the meetings at all. We literally just share our experiences. And like Joanna said, from that comes the strength and the hope. Yeah. And um, I was reading through some of the literature that you sent me and um, like some of the things, the concepts in it, like the denial and, you know, the enabling, um, like like they're really powerful um, pieces of literature to understand for an individual who might be in denial and who might actually be doing that with a substance um, loved one who, you know, they just want to be happy I mean I mean my recovery I'm 20 years drug and alcohol free and I know from from my experience my mum used to just pay for my drugs so I wouldn't go outside the door mm. you know she used to say I'll pay today son just don't go outside the door and I used that I'm not going to lie I did use that mm. um, but she just didn't want me going out getting into trouble because you know with, with substance it just comes trouble all the time you know so I mean my mum's passed away now, but I'm sure she would have loved a programme like that back then, you know. So yeah. I really like want to say to you, it's fair play to you for bringing her here to Ireland. And I suppose, what, what do you hope for it from, from now going forward, like, you know? So, like as you were just talking about then, touching on what Katty says about the steps and getting them, like, you know, like nothing changes if nothing changes kind of thing. Mm. So we we really do, like, say, you know, when you come in and you find your, you know, this is where your home is, there's a bit of work to do, of course. you know, and if you really want to recover, you know, and your family recovering, because the addict or the alcoholic has somewhere to go, as you know, all the different fellowships, and then this is why, you know, we're calling on now the rest of the family, like the mothers, brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, daughters, they have they have a place to recover now too. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that we do the steps and get that power into our life in order for us to change. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what it basically is about. And then all that stuff that you're talking about, the denial and the fear, regardless of whether the ad addict or the alcoholic in your home is using or in recovery, you're getting better and you're healing. That's yeah. what we're about, yeah. you know? It's so important, and isn't it's, it? And then the whole family recovers as a unit. Because yeah. if the alcoholic and the addict is going places like to recover, let's just say, you're still left with all that stuff. Mm. And that's what has been in my case. You're going around and you don't know what is what, mm. you know? And it was really important for me to do the work. And that takes action, you know, and listening and taking the direction. And you see it in people. You're looking at them and you're like, yeah, I do want what they have. And I am going to do it, even though you're like, what is this all about? You're having a clue, yeah. you know? But when you start doing it and you start practising it and when you get yourself through the steps, you have that spiritual awakening. Then you're like, where has this been at my life? Mm. You know, and you just have that peace regardless, and you're on your own little lovely um, journey. Then you know. Yeah, so it's like a shared education and and, and awareness and knowledge piece yeah. for the family member to be able to support their loved one better. Yeah. And to support themselves, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I taught support groups in general. Well, especially the Cohen on. I thought it was a place to go and, you know, somebody was going to sit me down and say, OK, this is what you need to do. Whatever you do, make sure you do this, make sure you do this and whatever you do, don't do this. And that's not what happened at all. That mm. doesn't happen. Um, I thought that I'd be sharing war stories with other loved ones and family members. That doesn't happen at all. In actual fact, like I hardly speak about my partner at all. Conan is all about me and it's about my programme and, Very good. you know, my recovery and learning all about myself and 
because of all the tools that I've been given for my own recovery, I then bring that into my relationship, not just with my husband, but with my kids, mm. in work, with my siblings, my parents, my friends, the with community. complete strangers. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a way of living. It's a programme yeah. for living. And, you know, in all honesty, like, it should be taught in schools. Like, <laughs> you, you don't need to have somebody in addiction or recovery to be working a 12-step programme. You learn so much about yourself. Don't wait mm. until you suffer. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And we should have this firsthand already. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And yeah. the ripple effect is, is the same way the, the drug use has a ripple effect within the family. When, when somebody recovers in the family mm-hmm. um, or when the family recovered, the ripple effect of that is, is unbelievable. So positive, yeah. Absolutely. And I can see that in um, as you're talking there, the smile, like, you know, yeah. and you know that you've actually, you know, you've been through that process and now you're kind of starting to heal and your family's healing for for the benefit of this programme. So, you know, congratulations to you and fair play to you, you know, the both of you, you know. Um, as I said, the literature, you know, it's really important. Um, I read through it and it's really important for anybody who doesn't know what going on is about and that I will attach the literature to this podcast at the end so that people might, if they, you know, after le- listening to yourselves, they might be able to go through it. And the one thing that really struck me was the questionnaire that you have, which was really powerful because it's like a checklist to see, like, basically, um, do I need this or do I not need it? And I'd say, like, like just from reading it, as me, as a practitioner, I'd say if people and family members read that, they will identify that this is a programme that I might need to actually associate myself with, you know. So where did that idea come from for that? The literature, we have a newcomers pack that we send out to all people um, that come on to the meetings and people that, we have a WhatsApp group as well and people add themselves to that and we send that newcomers pack out. Um, what we ask is if people check more than four questions on that checklist, then going on is for them. And I think that checklist, the impact it had on you has on yeah. a lot of people because a yeah. lot of people have commented on it. Um, I don't think people really know until the questions are read out yeah. that they identify as much as they do. Yeah. Um, and the beautiful thing is as well, it's not just family members and loved ones. Like there's people in other fellowships that are recovering themselves or seeking um, recovery for themselves that might identify as being a Conan member as well. Mm. Um, and that's the really beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. What about yourself or the questions? Did you find them powerful as well? Yeah. Hundred percent, yeah. Like as I was saying, you just know that you're home. You're yeah. identifying with, you know, your your own kind kind of thing, and yeah. from that, you're you're able to open up. Then, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. you're able to kind of go. I don't have to put on the front anymore. Mm. I can actually just be myself and be raw, isn't yeah. it? And and know that like what I say as well, because we are anonymous too. You know, yeah. what we say is like it's 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 in confidence, and people are able to share in that kind of environment. Then, I feel you know? safe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, when I had the lads on last week from CA, um, they talked about the newcomer. And I've seen in the literature for you as well, the newcomer was really so important for you as well and that you really embraced the newcomer. So could you just elaborate a little bit on that and, you know, what that meant pos- possibly for you as a newcomer to it and then how you um, receive other newcomers coming to Conan? Sure. Um, like I said, my husband was four years in recovery when I came into the rooms first and I wasn't really sure if there was a place for me in the meetings. Um, but I heard somebody read out one of the readings that day. Um, if somebody's drinking, using their sobriety is bothering you, you're in the right place. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, that's what it is. Yeah. It's his sobriety is bothering me. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know it. Like I said, I'd been sick for four years while he was getting well and he knew I was sick and I knew I was sick. But we didn't know what. 
I didn't know if I wanted to sell the house and move or change jobs. Was I going through the menopause? Didn't know what was wrong. Yeah. And when I heard somebody say, if somebody's sobriety is brought in you, it, straight away I knew that that's what it was. And I was welcomed in with open arms and I felt comfortable. Um, I didn't keep my camera off. I put my hand up and I shared straight away on that first meeting. And I actually, I remember sitting on the bed with my hood and my hoodie up and just cried the whole way through the meeting because like Joanna says, I just felt home. I felt like I could identify with everybody that shared that night. Um, my friends and family were very supportive through all of the madness and the chaos and then the four years of recovery. But, you know, people don't know unless they've actually been through it, you know. Yeah. And I felt like I had somewhere else that I could go where people could, I could identify. Um, but like I said, I was welcomed in with open arms and made to feel part of the group straight away. And and that's what we do. Our meetings are all about the newcomer. Without the newcomer, we don't have a meeting. Yeah. Like Especially in the Irish group because we're so new. Um, and we're lucky enough that we have newcomers every single week. Yeah. Um, and we make them feel welcome. And we send them out the newcomers pack with all the literature in it. If they want to be added to the WhatsApp group, we can add them to the WhatsApp group. We have social media accounts now, Instagram and Facebook. We have a phone number people can contact us on. Um, and it's just to let people know that we're here. And like Joanna said, uh, anonymity is protected at all times. Um, but the newcomer is what keeps the meeting going. Mm. And you felt that as well as a newcomer coming in, did you? Yeah, like as I was saying, I just felt home. I was like, this is this is where I'm meant to be. Yeah. For the first time in my life, like yeah. really. And like as Kathy was saying, I just cried all the way through the meeting. And I even shared. I shared at my very first meeting. I was like, I need, I need to open my mouth here, you know. Yeah. It was like everything just needed to come out yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's really important for the newcomers that's coming in. For me, that brings me back to when I first came in. And, like, you know, you're, like, when you go on in the programme, you're wanting to let them know that you don't, you don't have to be lost anymore. Mm. There's a way you're out of your pain. Yeah. You're not alone. Yeah. There's a way out. And, you know, just do the suggested things. Like, as Kat said, we don't give advice, but we suggest things what was suggested to us. Yeah. And when you start to experience it and feel this stuff, you cannot want both want to tell people about it yeah do you know Um, a question we ask everybody that comes onto this podcast and it has so many different meanings to so many different people it'd be really interesting to hear from a family perspective what does recovery mean to you Um, we ask that question to everybody because it's so diverse and it means so many different forms it takes so many different forms for everybody but for you as a family member what does it mean for you um, for me personally, I suppose recovery means freedom. Freedom from all the resentments and the hurt and the anger that I was carrying around for so long. Freedom from the fear. Fear was my biggest thing. Fear when he was using and fear when he was recovering. Um, I've let go of all that fear. Um, fear of the future. I had so much fear within me. Um, I'm free from my old self. I used to put so much pressure on myself. I was... Um, uh, a controlling person, you know, always preempting the worst and planning and organizing and anticipating the worst and trying to predict the worst. Always, yeah. always, and trying to do things my way all yeah. the time. Um, and the freedom from that has been great. Freedom from the constant chattering in my head—that's all quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just freedom, I think. And that's a powerful word, isn't it, freedom? Mm-hmm. Because. 
we don't actually see it, but it actually we we actually become a slave to the substance for the substance use and the family member. You just had to say in there that freedom is one of the biggest things for you. So obviously you became a slave within that relationship too, to trying to control that relationship and. That's all that was in your mind was thinking about how can I stop this? How can I get better? How can I get him better? You know, and that chat that must have been, you know, tormenting for you at that Absolutely. time, at that period, you know. Um, for yourself, what's it mean for you, Joanna? In major. You got it right this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it's um, healing. It's like it, yeah, like it's just a whole different concept of how you do things. You know, like you no longer do or be what you used to be. You're recovered. You're you no longer act out of the same of the same motives that you used to used to. You you just have a whole new concept and you it's beautiful. Yeah. Recovery is beautiful. And especially when a whole unit recovers together, it's beautiful. And you see it in people. You can't talk about this stuff. I know we're talking about it today, but recovery for me is you see people recovered. Mm. When you look at them, you're like, they're on a different foot and there's something about them. What's going on there? And you, you can't help but, you, you know, be attracted to that. Yeah, and that's know? why the newcomer is so important as well, isn't it? Because yeah. if you see a, new, a newcomer coming through the door and then two months down the line, yeah. you see the penny dropping for them. And you see them recovering. Yeah. There's no better feeling. Like oh. I'm, I'm even getting goosebumps so thinking about it, you know, because <laughs> it's so rewarding. I find it in my walk all the time that when somebody, you know, actually gets recovery and they start to get personal growth and they start to value themselves and their life, it's such a wonderful experience to be a part of and a journey to be a part of. And I'm sure um, from talking to both you, you have experienced that firsthand and with the family members that and your loved ones that um, have suffered. Um, but like, like, um, I'd like to say to you today, thanks very much for coming in and sharing your experience. Um, if there's anything else you'd like to add or know to somebody or say to somebody out there, um, this is your opportunity, uh, say to a family member or a loved one that you might think this might reach, feel free to say it now, you know. Yeah, I think I think people come into the rooms when they're ready. I don't think that you can push somebody into this journey. They'll do it when they're ready and in their own time. Um, but it is a safe space. It is the right place. Um, if anybody is struggling with the effects of loving somebody in addiction, regardless of what that addiction might be, and again, whether that person is out in the madness and hasn't yet admitted their own, their own powerlessness, if they have somebody in treatment, just about to come out of treatment, working a programme and doing really well in their programme, or if somebody's not even in a relationship with the addict in their lives anymore, maybe that person has passed away or the relationship has broken up, coming on is here for everybody. If you love an addict and that love is affecting you, coming on is for you. Yeah, and I just like to add to that that there's hope um, by coming into Conan. You know, you no longer have to suffer. The family no longer has to suffer. Um, um, our doors are open, as Cathy suggested. Zoom uh, is on uh, Sunday at 8 o'clock um, online. You know, we'll, as you were saying, you put the link in. Um, and we also have a very first physical meeting this Sunday. Brilliant. The very first one in Ireland. That's um, amazing. Fair play. Yeah, so that is... So uh, things are really starting to move forward for, for Conan in Ireland, which is which is brilliant, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd just like to say two words that you said there. Love and hope. Yeah. Um, for years, we've stigmatised and we've tried to control and we've tried to um, change people who are suffering from substance abuse, but the reality is the only thing that will set them free is love and hope. Mm -hmm. And that if you express that 
and you talk about that and you educate them on that and you keep showing them that love that hopefully one day you know that penny will drop for them too two great words to end on and i have to say just sitting here with both of you is like you can see the recovery in your boat you can see how is it blossomed and i just like to say to you on behalf of us ballymundo's recovery podcast keep flying the flag for the family members you know fair play to you fair play to you for bringing it to ireland we'll represent you as much as we can on the podcast and we'll get you a name out there and i will use it with my families that i work with and um, to try and you know um show them the way to recovery and um, what's going on so fair play to us and thanks very much for coming in this morning we really uh, feel privileged for you coming in this morning thanks very much thanks so much thank thanks you very much sean's recovery story my name is sean and i grew up in ballymun i had a fairly good and normal childhood i kept busy i was out most of the time playing football and hanging out with my friends when i was about 13 years of age i became aware of drugs I saw lots of drugs in my community and I was always curious about what people were doing. When it came to family members, I could hear little whispers and people disappearing outdoors. Taking drugs always looked very appealing because I would see people smiling and stuff. As I grew older, I would be around the shops and I saw the boys selling a bit of hash. Again, I was very curious. At 13 years of age, me and my friends bunched in for the price of a 10 spot and we started buying 10 spots regularly. It was a nice little way to escape. We would go over to the hills or the bushes and have a couple of joints. I saw an awful lot of drugs around and I started to hear about ecstasy and stuff. I was about the age of 14 or 15 then and I was thinking I wouldn't mind trying them out. I started with ecstasy. I will never forget my first day. I loved it. It took me out of my head the whole lot. I didn't give a shit. I had no clarity in my life anyway at that age. I was starting to get a little bit lost, very sidetracked. Nobody around to guide me or mentor me or show me a different way of life. I kept doing what I was doing. I was easily led, but I just wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be seen as an outsider, so I was using drugs regularly. I was using acid and ease. I grew up in a big family, and as we got older, times got very challenging. My man and dad seemed to struggle a bit more, and us kids were out a lot more, and we didn't have a lot. My father wasn't around a lot, and when he was around, he literally wasn't around. I had nobody to guide me. I felt I had to stand on my own two feet. My mental health started getting very bad when I was using drugs. At that stage, I was smoking cannabis on a daily basis, 24-7, from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to bed. It started to give me horrible anxiety and a lot of fear used to creep in. Like I said, I was using an awful lot of drugs and I was people-pleasing then, trying to find my way in life. I was around 17 or 18 now and I hadn't heard a lot about cocaine growing up, but a couple of my mates started selling it and now I was hearing a lot about it. It was seen then as the rich man's drug, and if you were able to do piles of it, you were doing well. I started doing coke when I was about 17 or 18, and selling it to feed me habit. I was thinking about it, it was the worst substance I ever used. It took a massive hold in me. I was using from Monday to Sunday, week in, week out, just on the dry, no alcohol. My mental health was very bad. I didn't have people around me to challenge my thinking. As I said, I came from a big family, and I was very close to one of my brothers. I started off smoking hash with him and doing ease and acid with him. Eventually led to bottle was sniffing coke and like me, my brother's mental health got very bad as well. But to the outside world, it looked like we were doing great. We had the clothes, we had the cars and people thought we were doing well. But our mental health was destroyed and every time I was left sitting with myself, I had suicide thoughts. Life went on for a few years like that. I hated looking in the mirror because I hadn't got a clue who I was or where I was going. I did an awful lot to fit in. I was only 25, my brother passed away from an overdose at the age of 27. 
that was the biggest eye opener for me and I stayed substance free for about two years and kept myself to myself a lot. I didn't speak as much as I was out doing my own thing. I was very protective of my own ways and I didn't trust anybody in life. I got hurt a lot in life so it was very hard to let people back in. If people are nice to me, I always felt they were looking for something. I had two years drug free at my brother passed and like I said I didn't talk a lot. At that time I said to myself, I'll have a couple of drinks and get a bit of coke to be grand. I missed it. I missed it a lot for the two years I didn't do it. I didn't know how to talk about it, but over the past while I have done a lot of work and there's learning everything for me and there's learning for everybody. I acted on my impulses and went back using coke after two years and I was doing it every second or third day. Every problem or issue I had in my life, everything was to go get a bag of coke. Even if I felt good in myself, I would get a bag of coke. I would go get a bag, believing it would stop would top the feel, good feeling up. That's when I felt shit. It was the same go and do a bit of coke. Within the two years that I got substance free, I went back to college and got certified as a personal trainer. My biggest goal then was to go out with open my own business and I did that. Physically I was doing well in the two years but mentally I was struggling big time. But I didn't talk about it. So after going back using coke again, it took a real hold of me. I'm a father to four boys and I love my kids to bits and I did some shit things on my family. I ended up homeless, staying in hostels, and God, I thought I'd never get there in my life. I just didn't realise the impact of the bleeding drugs again. I had all these problems, and taking the drugs was the only time I felt okay. It's only now I really see that drugs were the ruination of my life, and were the ruination of my life for years. And they're a ruination for many people, not just me. People don't understand how we all make all these excuses, saying we had this child and that childhood, and we didn't have this person and that person. We all struggle. I know now for my behaviours. I love the gym and I am passionate about what I'm eating. Like I said, I went out to set up my own business. When things got problematic for me again, I ended up going to the Star Project in Ballymun on a recovery programme. I was two years acting to go when I was doing the gym, as I said. Mentally, I wasn't well. I ended up homeless and at death's door, having suicidal thoughts every day. I attempted suicide, which was a horrible place to be. I hadn't got a pot to piss in. I had nowhere to go. Thought I was a hard man. I went and did a two years in recovery program to start project and was the best thing I've ever done in my life. I'm three or four years substance free and I'm delighted. Life can be very challenging, very, very challenging, there's no denying that. But I have a clear mind and a clear head most of the time. I can deal with anything. I now have great supports around me, so always use your supports. I am doing well now the last couple of years. I returned to education and done a course in psychology. I am now a mind and body coach, a motivational speaker. I have some other dreams and goals. I am now so passionate about the mind and the body because I know how important it is to look after both. Every day I mind my body and my mind because for a long time I lived in my head a lot and I now know the consequence if I don't look after myself. I tried to push myself out of my comfort zone and do new things because it's very easy to go back into a bad mindset. I hope through telling my story I can inspire others who are down the black hole of substance use. There is always a way out of the madness and the misery of drugs. Reach out to somebody Use your support and never give up on yourself. This is Sheila's story. I grew up with my mother who was a single parent who worked hard to bring me up on her own. I was a very happy child growing up. I loved school and playing with my friends. I never caused my mother any bother as a young child. That is until I got to secondary school. It all changed from there as I felt like I didn't fit in. Most of my friends went to different secondary schools and I felt lost in my new school. I started to miss days and my ma was getting into trouble with the school because I wasn't going to school. Instead, I went to the youth project, which I loved. 
but it was only for a year. Then when the year was over, I was left just hanging around the streets. As time went on, I started mixing with other people from different areas. I started drinking and smoking weed. I thought, wow, the buzz you get from weed and drink is great. I felt full of confidence and bulletproof. No one could touch me. I was living my best life, not a care in the world. Sitting in the park, drinking and smoking weed. But the drink and weed was making me so feel so sound that I needed something to wake me up. So out came the coke. The buzz I got out of that, up for days, partying. No responsibility, not a care in the world. After getting used to the coke, I couldn't sleep. So I started taking tablets to help me sleep. I started off with one or two tablets, but before I knew it, I was taking a lot of tablets daily. As time went by, I picked up charges, back and forth from the courts, breaking my mother's heart. I went from 14 stone to 7 stone in a year from drug use. I thought I was living my best life, but I wasn't. My mother's heart was broken. Family members stopped talking to me. Everybody lost trust in me. Doctors said I would be dead from my drug use, and so did the Garda. I'll never forget the day I was up in court and the Garda that had me up said to me I could be dead at the end of the year if I didn't stop taking drugs or I could make something of my life. So I went to my GP for a benzo detox which I finished. Then COVID came and there was a drought on with the dealers so I couldn't get any weed. So in the heat wave of 2020 I came off the weed and the coke. I wanted to stay drug free so I joined the Star Project in Ballymun. The support I got there was great. They taught me how to change my thinking, to be honest, to become a great daughter and to live a normal life. This was something I always wanted. I thought when I was in addiction there was no hope for me and that there was no help out there. I thought nobody understands what it's like to be on drugs, but I was wrong. There is help out there and a lots of support. It is scary coming into recovery at first, but you get your life, family, mental health back and you are able to walk with your head held high for the first time and to be proud of what you have achieved. I went from having a drug addiction, self-esteem on the floor, nothing to live for, to being two years drug-free and becoming a peer mentor. And wait for this, I am going to college, which is something I thought I would never be able to, but guess what, anything is possible once you put your mind to it. Always remember that when you think you are in a dark hole and that there is no way out, just reach your hand out there will always be a service or someone who will reach out their hand to help you. Remember to stay strong because recovery is possible for everyone.